Sorry, trying to find something to do with my shelf space down here. It's a learning experience, isn't it? It is. It is. It's beautiful, but I, I need to learn how to use it. Can you hear me? Yes. Okay. All right. Well, pardon our brief technical difficulties. My name is Sean, if you don't know me. I'm the associate pastor here at 116 Bible Church. And man, am I happy to see you. You're bright. You're smiling. You look like you're ready to worship the Lord. And it looks like we actually just uh, did a good portion of that. Thank you, uh, praise and worship team, for leading us to the throne um, in worship and song. Now let's go to the throne and worship in the Word of God. Uh, we are going to be continuing <clears throat> pardon me, our trek through 1 Samuel. Um, if you've been going here for any amount of time, you should know I don't like to uh, veer off from the course laid out. So we're going to be going through 1 Samuel. We're going to be in chapter 9. We're going to be picking up where Brother Jeff left off a couple weeks ago. Um, he ended in verse 2. We're going to be picking up in verse 3. Um, and Lord willing, we'll be reading or we'll be going down um, from verse 3 to verse 10. So First uh, Samuel chapter 9, beginning in verse 3, going down to verse 10. Give you just a moment to find that. And if you have found it and you are able, I ask that if you would please stand in the honor of the reading of God's word. One final time, that is 1 Samuel chapter 9, beginning in verse 3. And the word of God says, Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father, were lost. So Kish said to his son Saul, Take now with you one of the servants, and arise, go search for the donkeys. He passed through the hill country of Ephraim, and passed through the land of Shalishah, but they did not find them. Then they passed through the land of Shalim, but they were not there. Then he passed through the land of the Benjamites, but they did not find them. When they came to the land of Zuth, Saul said to his servant who was with him, Come and let us return, or else my father will cease to be concerned about the donkeys and will become anxious for us. He said to him, Behold now, there is a man of God in this city, and the man is held in honor. All that he says surely comes true. Now let us go there. Perhaps he can tell us about our journey on which we have set out. Then Saul said to his servant, But behold, if we go, what shall we bring the man? For the bread is gone from our sack, and there is no present to bring the man of God. What do we have? The servant answered Saul again and said, Behold, I have in my hand a fourth of a shekel of silver. I will give it to the man of God, and he will tell us our way. Formerly, in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God, he used to say, Come and let us go to the seer. For he who was called a prophet now was formerly called a seer. Then Saul said to his servant, Well said, let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we come before your throne, Lord, to God, to give you the praise. Lord, to thank you, God. This is your word, Lord, that you have so blessed us with. You have so richly and truly blessed us with, Father. You did not leave us after that incident in Genesis 3 when we first disobeyed you. You did not leave us alone. You did not 
even in that day, kill us in every sense of the word, but you instead show grace. You show grace on our prime parents, Lord, and you show grace on us, and even now, by having delivered and preserved and even translated your very word. May we never take that for granted. May we never treat it so casually and so flippantly, Lord, that we become used to it and it becomes mundane and everyday, Lord, because this is your word. May we treat it as such. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. All right, so let's do what I always like to do and give us a little bit of a review, see where we've been so we find out how we got to where we are, and maybe Lord willing to see where we're going past that. So we are in the book of Samuel, or the first book of Samuel. Um, it's only called First Samuel because the book of Samuel was too big to fit on one scroll, so they broke it up into two scrolls, so that's why you call it First Samuel and Second Samuel. Um, really, it's just Samuel. Um, but we're in the book, first portion of the book of Samuel, how we'll put it that way. And uh, in this portion, we've been introduced to quite a few characters. We've been introduced to Elkanah and Hannah, who prayed to God for a child and for many years did not have one. Um, and then uh, God smiled on them, delivered to them a child. And uh, they, in turn, in fulfillment of a vow, returned the child and offered him up to the Lord um, in service to serve before the presence of the Lord. And he did so. He did so under the uh, priestship of Eli. Uh, Eli, who uh, was the high priest at the temple um, for the tabernacle. Um, and Eli, we not only get introduced to Eli, we also get introduced to Eli's two sons, who are um, less than desirable characters. We'll just put it that way. Um, so undesirable, in fact, that they not only abhorred the offerings of the Lord by taking for themselves whatever they please, including that which belonged to the people, and even portions that aside for God himself. Um, but this action not only despised, was not only despising the worship of the Lord in their actions, but also caused the people to despise the offering of, of the Lord and the worship of God. Um, and the death of Eli's two sons came to, was pronounced to Eli by two prophets, one of them being Samuel. Um, and uh, then we see it happens. The Israelites go to war. Um, they lose, so they, they say, hey, let's go get the ark. It's like our good luck charm, right? It brings us all kinds of good fortune. So they do that. And God says, you're not going to treat my ark like a rabbit's foot. So they lost even worse. Um, and not only did they lose, but the two priests who came with the ark who happened to be Eli's sons, were killed. And um, in that day, uh, when it was pronounced to Eli, the shock um, caused him to fall backwards, snap his neck, and die. Um, so in fulfillment of prophecy, the household of Eli was cut off from service of the Lord. Um, and then we're following the track um, of Samuel, essentially, Samuel's ministry to the Israelites. And we see how um, Samuel is... He's a godsend, really. I mean, he's, he is leading the Israelites in worship. It is his fasting and offerings and, and worship of the Lord um, in spirit and in truth that, um, 
and where he implores the Lord to act on Israel's behalf, that we see is the catalyst for God bringing Israelites victory um, against the Philistines. So much so that they chase the Philistines, not just out of their country, but into their own territory, um, where they're able to possibly even regain some uh, towns and territory that had previously been lost. And then we see shortly after this, all too shortly after this, um, uh, while uh, during the time where Samuel has his yearly circuit where he visits many towns um, to judge and to prophesy, that the people ask for a king. And the people ask for a king not so that their, the worship of God, their worship of the one true living God can be better facilitated. No, they ask for a king because they want a tall, good-looking guy who really fits in a suit of armor leading the charge because all the other nations have one of those. And so they want one of those. And it's not that what they're asking for is bad. It's that what the reason why they're asking is bad. Um, and so God tells Samuel to give him a king. He says they think they know what they want. They think they know the reasons why they should want this. Give it to them. And uh, then in a really weird kind of a turn, um, if you've never been through the Bible before, we kind of go from um, God telling Samuel to give the Israelites a king to all of a sudden talking about a guy named Saul and the family of Kish of the tribe of Benjamin. And uh, Brother Jeff, um, in his uh, previous sermon in this book, went over the first two verses here um, of Saul. And we're introduced to Saul and his lineage um, in the tribe of Benjamin, which should already kind of raise the flag, Right? If, you, if you've been tracking through the Bible up to this point, this should raise the flag. It's like, wait a second, B. I seem to remember in a previous book in the Bible where the scepter is not given to the tribe of Benjamin, but it's given to the tribe of Judah. So why is the king coming from the tribe of Benjamin? Well, the king's coming from the tribe of Benjamin because he doesn't fit God's criteria. He fits Israel's criteria. The one's that they set out for why they wanted king. And we see it in we see it in uh, verse 2. Uh, Kish had a son whose name was Saul, a choice and handsome man. Good-looking guy. There was not a more handsome person than he among the sons of Israel. So they got the good-looking guy. Not only did they get a good-looking guy, but from his shoulders and up, he was taller than any of the people. They got the tall, good-looking guy who fits the suit of armor, who would just really be the picture-perfect person for leading our troops into battle because all this is what all the other kings look like, so that's the kind of king we need. That's what his real thinks. So we're introduced to this guy who meets these criteria, who who's tall, who's handsome, who seems to be exactly what they're looking for. But then verse 3 happens, and we find out not only what kind of person Saul is, but what kind of family he comes from. So now that we've done a little bit of review, let's dive into our passage today, beginning in verse 3. Now the donkeys of Kish, Saul's father were lost. So, 
right out of the gate. I mean, after we get these, after we get this wonderful, glowing description of, of Saul and his outward appearance, we get something that's a little bit embarrassing. Why? Because, well, Saul's father's donkeys have gone missing. What does that mean? What significance is that? Could that possibly have? Well, it shows that uh, assuming Saul directly had nothing to do with this incident, um, it shows that uh, he at least comes from a family of those who are careless. Careless enough to lose not just a donkey, but donkeys, plural. Donkeys, in case, uh, in case you are unfamiliar with the importance of this particular farm animal, particularly in this time, donkeys were essentially the Ford F-150 of uh, <laughs> farms at this time. Um, they basically were used for just about everything. They were the work mule. They, they were that which you used. If you needed something done, you probably had a donkey to do it. Uh, donkeys were so important that even your poorest family tended to have at least one because they were so important. Um, and Saul comes from a family who, it doesn't say how many, it just says donkeys. Could be two, could be 200, I have no idea. But enough for, there to, for the noun to be plural. And they go missing. They're lost. They're gone. What what the author is setting up here, what God himself through the author is setting up here is really a contrast between the kind of person Israel wants versus who they had in the Whereas previously we saw God himself causing confusion among the, the opposing armies of the Philistines. So much so that they freaked out and headed for the hills. That's the kind of person they had. And not only that, they had, they had a guy, a judge, a prophet who was fasting and offering up offerings and prayers to the Lord on behalf of the people of Israel. God is saying, not only did you have me, you had my servant whom I have handpicked. But you want a tall, good-looking guy who fits the suit of armor regardless of how careful he is, regardless of how intentional he is, so much so that his family, the family he comes from, can't even keep track of their own donkeys. Their own very important animal, their very important asset. They can't even keep track of that. So Kish said to his son Saul, which probably means um, Saul was directly involved in this incident, take now with you one of the servants and arise, go search for the donkeys. That makes sense. You have, if you had a herd of F-150s go missing, you try to figure out where they went to. Um, so Saul, uh, or Kish has his son Saul, um, go look for these donkeys. He says, go take one of the servants. And the, and the phrase used here for one of the servants, your translation, it's a little older, may say, may say one of the boys. Take one of the boys or young men with you. Um, 
This is a phrase that could mean simply a servant, or could even mean um, is a phrase commonly used for take with you essentially the first servant, um, the head of the servants. Um, take with you our most trusted, most reliable guy, and you guys go find these donkeys, okay? These, these are important. We need them back. So they go. They go. They search for these donkeys. He passes through the, country, the hill country of Ephraim. And passed through the, uh, the land of Shalisha, or Shalisha, either one's fine. But they did not find them. So, we're talking about a man from the tribe of Benjamin. And the first thing he does, rather than search in the tribe of Benjamin, is he heads for the hill country of the neighboring tribe to look for these donkeys. Um... The dude's not smart. Let's just put it that way. The guy's not with it. Uh, he's clearly, um, there's no plan. There's no strategy to searching out these donkeys. It's just, we're just going to walk, and if we find them, we find them. Um, so that really, I mean, granted, they didn't travel too far from their, from their hometown, um, but... They really didn't go in an orderly, strategic method about it either. They just kind of went, uh, passing through, uh, crossing the border into Ephraim to see if the donkeys happened to be there, um, checking a few places around there. Um, the donkeys weren't there. Um, then they passed through the land of Shalim, but the donkeys weren't there either. They're still in the country before, in the hill country of Ephraim. Then they passed through the land. Of the Benjamites. So finally they're like, wait a minute. Maybe the donkeys didn't go this far. Maybe they didn't cross state lines. So let's whoop it around. Let's go back. Let's see if we can find them closer to home. So they go back. Pass through the land of the Benjamites. So Benjaminites would be their ones fine. And they, didn't, and they still didn't find them. Why? Because, oh, by this point, wherever the donkeys were, probably still not there when you finally think to check that area. So, they're passing through, finally cross back over, can't find the donkeys. And then they come to the land of Zeph, in the, in the territory of Benjamin. So, and Saul says to his servant who's with him, come and let us return, or else my father will cease to be concerned about the donkeys and become concerned or anxious for us. So now this, to a degree, sounds reasonable, right? Um, to a certain extent, this this sounds like a smart thing. Uh, but we're still drawing a contrast here. We're, we're, the author is still showing the character of the person Israel thinks they want versus the character of the leader and the God they are rejecting. Because if you remember at the end of at the end of uh, chapter eight, God tells Samuel, He says, "They're not rejecting you; they're rejecting me." Like He's like, "Don't take this personally. It, it's not really about you; it's about me." They're rejecting me. They want a king because not because they want to serve me better. They want a king because I don't because they can't see me. I don't fit the mold that they're looking for. So finally, so what they're seeing here is when they get to the land of Zeph, and granted this is likely a couple days later, 
Um, Saul says, let's just go home. I mean, we've been at this for a while, clearly. Clearly we're not going to find these donkeys, so let's just call it quits, cut our losses, go home. It'll be fine. He's like, definitely before Dad starts worrying about us rather than the donkeys. So what we see here is Saul's failure to follow through with a simple task involving a herd of donkeys. I'm conjecturing, possibly a herd. Maybe as little as two. But his failure to follow through with a simple task of locating, of finding that which is lost. Whereas the God that they rejected, it's his business to seek that which is lost. And he's made that abundantly clear. So much so that he brought them out of the land of Egypt. He said, you were lost, and I brought you home. And there were untold millions of them. But Saul, the guy Israel thinks they want, the guy that they're so desperate to have, the kind of guy who fits the idea that they have in their mind of what a king should look like, He's careless. He has no sense of direction. And he has no interest in seeing things through a negative. This is the comparison. This is the contrast that God is showing us here. This is the contrast that should have been evident to Israel. Yeah, I mean, sure, things, as we go later on in the book of Samuel, things start out great. But they end terribly with Saul on the throne. Whereas God is saying, had you simply been patient, been content with my leadership and who I chose, and waited for me to install a king, then you would have known what it is like to have the right person on the throne right away. But Israel wouldn't hear it. So they get to Zuff after a couple days of searching and Saul says, let's cut our losses and head home. And the servant says to him, Hold on now. There is a man of God in this city, and this man is held in honor. All that he says surely comes true. Now let us go there. Perhaps he can tell us about our journey on which we have set out. So what happens? They come to this land, this area around... We're not 100% sure exactly where, um, but clearly it's either Saul's hometown, or not, not Saul, uh, Samuel's uh, hometown where he set up shop essentially in Ramah, or uh, it's one of the cities that he visits on his annual circuit. It's one of those, most likely. Um, and in this area, 
The servant says to, says to Saul, there's a guy, a man of God, he hasn't been wrong yet. So let's, why don't we go ask him, see if he can give us any direction, see if he can help us out here. So finally, and, and the implication here is that Saul has no idea this guy even exists. Which again is uh, does not does not speak well about his um, his awareness of a situation uh, because I mean at this by this point in Israel's history Samuel he's been at this for a while um, to the point to where when the people came and asked for a king one of the first words out of their mouth were. You're old, Samuel, so you're not going to be around forever. So Samuel's been at this a while. So much so that um, it should be common knowledge that there is a man of God who lives in this particular area or who visits this area every year who need, who has God's ear and God speaks to him. God shows him things and he hasn't been wrong yet. This, this, this should be common knowledge. So apparently has no idea this guy even exists. So, the servant finally says, hey, there's a guy here. Let's go ask him. Let's see if he can point out the way. Finally, the, eye, the thought dawns on them to go ask the man of God about this, about their situation. Which in contrast, again, we're drawing contrast here, we look at Samuel who, when Israel was at war, took it upon himself right away, immediately, first thing, to seek the Lord. This is, this is the clear contrast we're getting here. But you have Samuel, God's appointed judge over Israel, seeking God's face immediately versus Saul, who seems so oblivious that the thought never even crosses his mind. Now, let's be fair. Let's be 100% fair. I've been Saul. I've been in a situation, I've been in many situations that I don't know how they compare to losing donkeys, but seem pretty bad. Definitely weren't warfare bad, but they were pretty bad. And my first thought was not, let's see the Lord. That's been me. I'm not saying it's been you, I'm saying it's been me, but I have a feeling I'm not alone. I mean, and we are talking about. New Testament, after the cross, Christianity, and I'm I'm acting like an Old Testament ignorant Israelite who has no idea what's going on. And let's be honest, I I don't have the good looks and the height really going for me, so I I don't have much of an excuse. Whereas Saul in the Old Testament is being 
essentially contrasted with Samuel, saying, you have God's appointed judge seeking God's face immediately. You want, but you don't care about that. You want the guy who looks good. You want, you want the guy you have to actually look up to. Which is ironic because God is so big that we can only look up to him. But Saul's response is, hold on, if we go, what will we bring to this guy? What are we going to give to this man of God? For the bread in our sack is gone, and there is no present that we have to bring him. So what do we have? Now, there are some there's some disagreements regarding exactly uh, the nature of what's being said here. Um, so, obviously, Saul is saying, we can't go, we don't have anything to give the guy. However, we do have elsewhere in the Old Testament prophets um, pretty strongly um, condemning those who go by the name of prophet only for prophet. And so, whereas it was um, it was condemned openly condemned by by other men of God and mouthpieces of God to go to fulfill the function of a prophet simply for the sake of taking from the people, um, it it was believed to be generally customary to when you went to inquire of a prophet for a personal matter that you would bring some sort of token. Um, or form of payment. However, it was by no means expected. It was just kind of the general, that's just, that's what you did. You know, you're like, this person's providing their services. I'll give them something in return. You know, good transactional communication. Um, but what Saul seems to be going on about here is, that seems like a lot of work. So, the impression we're supposed to be getting, I think, here is not necessarily that Saul's concerned about not having something to give the prophet, but Saul's really just ready to be done with this chore, and he really wants to go home. Um, so, he says, but be, what shall we bring the man? We don't have any bread, we don't have any presents, we don't have any, you know, we don't have something to give him. But the servant says, says to Saul, I've got... I've got a little bit of silver. Maybe he'll take that. Now Saul's on excuses. Now, now if he says, now if he says, no, I really don't want to, I mean, he's going to have to essentially confess to why he doesn't want to do this. Um, so he's he's really he's kind of backed into a corner here, and the, the servant kind of has him. Um, so he says, okay, we'll go. We'll do it. It's, uh, well said. We'll 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 go. Um, we'll go give it to him. Um, we'll go. We'll go see what he has to say. I mean, Saul's probably. I mean, Saul just found out the guy exists two minutes ago. He's probably not putting a whole lot of faith in this thing. But he says, "Okay, fine, we'll go." Um, and then there's a, there's an interesting little um, editorial note here in verse nine, and it says, "Formerly, in Israel, when a man went to inquire of God." He used to say, 
Come and let us go to the seer. For he who was called a prophet now was formerly called a seer. This is just an interesting little insert here that we have from the human author and by divine inspiration, God himself, um, where, I mean, that, that shows us that, I mean, clearly these events were written down after they actually happened. Because once once the monarchy is installed in, in Israel, you pretty much never hear the term seer again. Um, it... Anybody who comes in the name of the Lord is almost always, after the monarchy is installed, called, called a prophet. Um, even then, the Old Testament only uses the word seer, I think it's a dozen times, and eight of those, they're talking specifically about Samuel. Um, so Samuel had a reputation, not, um, yes, as a prophet of God, but as, as somebody who God showed things to. Um, God was clear, I mean, and we're in a transitional period here. Saul is the transitional figure between, between essentially local and national judges to the monarchy, to kings. So as this transitional figure, he seems to have been blessed or endowed with this miraculous, um, ability to communicate with God. Um, and so... This is just an inter interesting little uh, little insert here I thought you might enjoy. Um, but they would say they, whereas post monarchy we see, let's go, let's consult the prophet. Pre monarchy we typically saw, let's consult the seer. Um, just two different words, essentially talking about the same office, but um, both equally applying to Samuel himself. So. Then Saul said to his servant, Well said, come let us go. So they went to the city where the man of God was. So this is a... <laughs> we're not done, by the way, because it is, it is in this that a lot happens because what is it that God told Samuel previously to this? Give the people the king that they want. And then we get this weird story about... A kid from Benjamin with lost donkeys looking in really unusual places for them. Um, and through even through even this guy's carelessness, his aimlessness, and his apathy, we see God still at work. We see God's guiding hand, God's providence still bringing Saul to the place where the man of God who was going to anoint him as king was currently residing. I confessed to you earlier that I've been Saul. I've been in situations where for whatever reason the last thing I, the last thing that was that came to my mind was consulting God. But even in those moments, even when God's children are essentially faithless, God is still faithful. God is now make no mistake, in God's faithfulness is also discipline. 
and Saul himself was God's discipline on the nation of Israel. But we also see in God's faithfulness is God's faithfulness. That sounds redundant, but it's kind of supposed to. Because in God being faithful, he is doing what? He is fulfilling. He is comforting. And he is still providing. He is doing that which he has promised to do. And he's doing that which is still best for his people. Doing that which is best for his children. So even in our own ignorance and stupidity and even sin, God is absent. God is removed. He isn't gone. He's there. He doesn't turn his back on his people. He instead continues to guide them, continues to guide us. So even if you find yourself wandering in the exact opposite way that you should be going, half-heartedly looking for something that you may or may not have lost or may have been taken from you. But even in those situations where you just really don't care, God's faithfulness will still bring you to exactly what you need to be. That is the gospel. That that is Christ. Even this guy who couldn't find his own lost donkeys, Christ himself came many years later to seek and to save that which was lost. And allow me to comfort you by letting you know he found them. He did not fail. He did not cut ties and head home because it got hard. But he finished the search all the way to the cross. He did not give up. We see later descriptions of this, well, who will be his real second king? Who is much later described as a man after God's own heart, who is a shepherd. It's his job to look after animals who go wandering, get lost. And he himself conveys stories, stories of rescuing his sheep out of the mouth of the lion or out of the paw of the bear. That's the man after God's own heart. And God himself came down to fully and perfectly and blessedly seek and save that which is lost to rescue his children, his sheep, from the mouth of the lion and from the paw of the bear and out of the clutches of the wolf himself. That is your God. That was Israel's God. And they rejected him. 
for a guy who couldn't keep track of his father's donkeys. Now, God's faithfulness is by no means an excuse for us to be faithless. No, but as a child of God, as one of his sheep, it is God's faithfulness that keeps us in line, that keeps us on the straight and narrow path with the church, the rest of the flock, heading towards sanctification. So that when you do when we do wander, when we do get turned around, when we do head in the wrong way, when we decide on occasion that the shepherd's pen just isn't quite big enough. So we go out looking for more open spaces. The shepherd came to bring you back. So even in Israel's faithlessness, God continued to provide. Even in our faithlessness, God continues to provide. And may his faithfulness drive us to our knees in thanksgiving and praise. Because what else can we ask for? The God of heaven. The God of heaven and earth, who by the very words of his mouth spoke everything that is into being, cared enough for those called by his name to come track them down. He didn't have to, but he chose to. And let that be your comfort. So even even on those days, those weeks, and even those months where you identify a little bit more with Saul, just be reminded of the faithfulness of your God and the success of the true Samuel who sought God for you to find you and bring you home. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, God, that is me. Lord, I confess, I confess that I am too often much more like Saul than I care to claim. Where I just want what I want and I couldn't care less about the spiritual consequences, much less the physical ones. Forgive me, Father. Lord, I pray that in those moments you would open your people's eyes to see your continued faithfulness. Lord, and may that revelation of your faithfulness 
will be that which brings us back home. May it be that which turns our hearts back to you. So that we, instead of wandering around aimlessly, seek you first. So that instead of being ignorant to your will, we actively search it out. And rather than being careless and apathetic towards the situation and our and our own spiritual disposition, Lord, that we would be driven to our knees in worship. Knees bent, face up, hands outstretched, glorying you, glorifying you, worshiping you, praising you, because you're the one who never fails, who never quits, and who never leaves. We ask all these things in the name of your Son, who is the one who came to be that shepherd who finds us. Amen.